I'm Carissa Andrews, international best-selling indie author and CEO of Author Evolution. With more than 15 books published, it's safe to say I have made a ton of mistakes in my endeavor to become a full-time author. The most important thing that I've learned in the past decade is that indie authors need to protect their creativity and their serenity. Being an author is a long game, and that's why I'm on a mission to teach other indies just like you how to publish books with a sustainable, rapid-release method. I created the Author Revolution podcast to give you insights and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you do just that. If you're an ambitious author or one in the making who's looking to create a long-term author career and a life you love, you've found your tribe, my friend. Let's get your author revolution underway. Welcome back to the podcast. Now, have you ever researched your own genre and found an indie author who you could totally be besties with? If, of course, they knew you existed and you were able to meet them in real life? Well, I can tell you I certainly have, and I am excited to say that this week I had the privilege of interviewing one of them. Kel Carpenter is a USA Today bestselling author in the same genre I write in, urban and paranormal fantasy. She often mixes mythology and religious undertones into her fantasy, and she's making a killer living doing so. Plus, I adore everything about her. Now, according to her bio on her website, Kel is a master of words. When she's not reading or writing, she's traveling the world, lovingly pestering her editor and spending time with her husband and fur babies, some of whom will, by the way, make an appearance in the video version of this podcast episode if you want to see an unedited version. But I'm interviewing you today, and without further ado, we're going to get this interview started. Let's hop to it. Thank you so much, Kel, for joining us on the Author Revolution podcast. I'm super excited that you're here today. So for my audience who maybe don't know a super ton about you other than what I've already introduced, do you want to tell them who you are and what it is that you write? So I am Kel, as you have said, and I like to write fantasy books. Um, Some are high fantasy, some are more low fantasy, urban fantasy, paranormal romance. Um, At the moment, I'm sticking with fantasy, but I am hoping to one day kind of branch into contemporary some. Um, I tend to write very strong female friendships. That's a theme that occurs across pretty much all of my series. Um, I love to have sidekicks that are animals. One of them has a raccoon. One has- I have read that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One has a crow. Um, So there's definitely a range of things that I like to kind of be outside the box with. Um, They're very steamy for urban fantasy. Um, I tend to be Honest, it's like I, I limit sex scenes, but they tend to be a lot, a lot steamier <laughs> than what I typically find in urban <laughs> fantasy. So gotcha. I guess the best way to describe it is definitely high fantasy, high action, lots of humor, but then also quite steamy alongside of it. So absolutely. That, I think that's a really good mix, though, especially in the urban fantasy and paranormal romance side of things. I think it's kind of the way the genres have really kind of veered off towards, at least in my experience. It's what I like to write. And so that's just kind of what I stick with. It's not um, clear cut as they once were, you know, 10 years ago, urban fantasy was very low romance, very plot driven. 
you know, yeah. here's the book and you can read them almost independently. And then paranormal romance was like, here's a romance with a little bit of magic. And yep. it's usually one, per, one couple per book. So I kind of veered into this other genre that is emerging. Cause I think that there's several other authors that definitely fit into this. Um, and we all say we're it? either paranormal romance, or urban fantasy, but really we're somewhere in the middle. Do, do you have a name for this new subgenre yet? I still just call it urban fantasy that's Stevie. I know that some people call okay. it urban fantasy romance. I won't lie, I struggle with this genre definition because already the only differentiator really between paranormal romance and urban fantasy is the romance. Sure. <laughs> yep. So if you're calling that. it urban fantasy romance, it's like, well, that's basically paranormal romance. So Right. Although you could have paranormal and like medieval fantasy times, who knows? And then it's not urban anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, but then it's not urban anymore. Then it would be yep. you know, fantasy romance if it's like a different yeah. world or historical fantasy romance, which I've Very seen true. Love too. Oh man. Yeah. There's so many different subgenres in it. All, all the different cat. Amazon doesn't make it easy with they, when they keep opening up all these new categories and options, and then you're trying to figure out where in the world does your book fit. I, uh, it, one I of the things that I just put it under both most of the time. And then the other ones that I also think typically fit like mythology is something that often pops yes. up in my books. So I'll put it under mythology. Um, Sometimes it can go into like the vampire thriller, you know, something thriller along those lines. If it's one that's a bit more action driven and less romance, um, uh, those don't happen very often anymore. Though. <laughs> 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 hmm. Now, why is that? <laughs> Especially with the pandemic, I think that in general, I'm trending towards things that are um, less less angsty and less drawn out I don't have the attention yeah. span to wait 10 books for a couple to get together and I, I don't for think sure do too anymore <laughs> no I hear although in saying that I wouldn't go too uh insta love either because I'll tell you I had a, a series that came out last year and it, the romance part was not the biggest part for me so it was it, it was all plot driven was this particular series and so they they kind of hooked up and like well not hooked up but not hooked up like that but they they got together where they got to know each other in the first chapter and a lot of people thought it went really fast because weeks pass by but it's you know not all described you're not drawing out the whole like this is time jumping yeah yeah the, the pacing of it can still be interesting there my couples don't tend to get together until book two or three um and I always, almost always write enemies to lovers. Um, how much of an enemy they are kind of differs series to series, but I think that's probably my tried and true trope. Gotcha. I love it. That's really cool. I, I have a character or a series that has that, that type of trope in it. Although they weren't really enemies because they didn't know each other in the beginning, but now it's like they, they've kind of done the flip-flop over there. But when they first met each other, they hated each other. It was funny. Okay, so speaking of um, you writing, you've, you obviously mentioned, you know, 10 years ago, how genres are different. How long have you been writing? How long have you been doing this whole indie author game? Well, I started writing when I was 16. So that was actually a decade ago. <laughs> right? Uh, and my first book is actually the book I wrote when I was 16. Uh, actually, I was 15. But yeah, nice. so, yeah. Um, I then took a break from writing for a few years. And I didn't really come back to it um, until about five years ago. So you know, I've been in the, the indie world for four to five years at this point. Um, gotcha. 
but I've been writing a bit longer. So how are you liking the indie world? Are you still like thrilled with it? Or are you thinking, oh my gosh, this was way more than I was anticipating? No, it is more work than I anticipated. But at the same time, I, I really enjoy being able to be in charge of my own career and my publishing schedule. Um, I love that I get to kind of work with my designers. I think cover is my favorite part of my job. And that's something that I wouldn't get to enjoy and have the perks of if I had been traditional. Sure. Um, you know, and there's a lot of things even within traditional that you still have to handle that it, it's not really much different. Like you still have to handle your social media and your presence and your newsletter and all of that. And so while it is more work, I think that there's also a lot more reward, especially in the current age with how much ebooks and audiobooks are really dominating the market. And in the sure. pandemic life, you know, that's especially true. No one's going to bookstores right now to buy books. Everyone's purchasing on Amazon and other places. Right. Absolutely. So now you mentioned covers are your favorite part. Do you do your own covers or do you work oh. specific? <laughs> okay. So you have a designer that you work with. No, <laughs> no. I have, um, I have a couple designers that are like my, my main designers now. Um, Clissa at Yokla is, is one of my main, she's done three of my series once she finishes okay. the current one she's working on. So she's done half my catalog. Um, and I'm definitely planning to continue working with her more. She's totally lovely to work with. Um, Triff is another one that's come onto the scene recently and I quite enjoyed working with him. He, uh, made the process very simple. And then Jay at um, Cover Designs by Juan, I believe it is, is like okay. the other one that's doing all of my Magic Wars universe books. So these are these are my main ones that I really, really enjoy working with. Um, I'm not very good at handholding. I'm the type of author that says, here's some elements about my book. I want it to fit this genre and I want it to be gorgeous. And yeah, that's basically it. I'm not the person that can tell you where a hand needs to go or what colors necessarily to use. I think know? that's actually the better situation, to be honest, because as soon as an author has too many ideas, then it's like the whole thing gets muddied up and it, yeah. You pigeonhole your just... designer a lot. Yeah. One of my yeah. closest friends is an author and a designer and regularly her biggest problem that she's told me about is that authors tend to say, well, I want them to be in this kind of pose and they need to look this way. And I want this kind of topography and these colors. And at a certain point, it's like your, your designer, they're never going to meet your vision if it's yeah. not their vision because they're not in your head. Absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, and you have and to I trust your designer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and at a certain point, it's like, okay, you're paid to, to know what you're doing. So I want to trust you to do the thing that hopefully yes. you know what to do. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you mentioned, um, that mythology as one of the things that come into your thing, which you and I share a lot of, cause I love mythology. I actually went to school to be a, an archeologist until I realized I hated anthropology, <laughs> but um, where does your inspiration then come from for, for your stories? Do you read in your own genre? Are you, is it because you loved uh, mythology? It's kind of a mix of things. So I actually have a degree in religious studies. Um, and I tend to pull a decent bit of mythology from different world religions um, and small little tidbits from here and there. One that I know I've used a lot and many people do is uh, Christian mythology with Lucifer and Eve and you know that story. I like to turn things on their head and completely change almost everything about it. But um, yep. I find that really enjoyable after learning you know, one way that it's basically always taught and then just changing it entirely. I really enjoy that. 
Yeah, so I really enjoyed learning about the Greek gods, the Norse gods, um, all that kind of stuff growing up, Egyptian gods. Um, and so I really just love to pull from the world, whether it is religions or other cultures. Um, of course, there's a fine line to walk with that with appropriation. You know, I, I don't want to branch into that. Um, but I read a lot and I read a lot within my genre and just about the world in general. I mean, I used to love to watch things like the discovery channel and stuff like that. And so um, I think that it sort of just works its own way into my work without me really having to try. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So with that being said, then are you a pantser or are you a plotter? Oh, I'm so much a pantser. Unbelievable. (laughs) Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. I start, um, I start a book with the concepts. My most recent one was I wanted to write a book about a demon summoning and a girl who hated uh, magic and demons and yet somehow she ended up tied to this demon and okay. that was literally the entire uh, of what I knew when I went into my most recent series <laughs> um, you know uh, actually no that was my second most recent my other one I was like I love the idea of a demon that comes back to punish her three dudes and they happen to be like her mate like I, that and it's literally it's like it's such a short concept that I just like the idea of and then I, I sit down and I just go um, and I I really enjoy pantsing because I tend to learn about things kind of organically in the way a reader does. I know that many people, if you're not a pantser, you don't understand this concept, (laughs) Um, you know, but I truly don't always know what I'm going to write when I sit down at the keyboard. I I usually have an idea of like, Oh, I'd like, you know, I need more action this scene. So something dramatic AF has to happen or, (laughs) you know, I need, um, I need more depth or this or that, you know, but I don't, I don't really know until I get there and then I know. So that's exciting. Sure. Well, I used to be a pantser like way back in the very beginning. And then I realized that my Virgo tenacity and tendencies like made me a little too anxious when I didn't know what the heck I was doing. (laughs) And so I, I am now more of a hybrid. I have a tendency to uh, skeletal outline and then I go in and I just kind of rock and roll and let it kind of pants itself out the rest of the way. But it makes me, it appeases my inner Virgo. <laughs> I do tend to know the overall plot points before I go into something after the first book. Um, yeah. I, I tend to know the general character arc that I would like to see in that book. Um, I almost always know my ending. Um, even if I don't know my beginning, I almost always know where I like to end um, because I have a scene or something in mind that's usually very dramatic and almost a cliffhanger yeah. um, that I like to end on. And so I kind of, I tend to see these things before going into a book. And so it's, I'm not gonna say it's easy, um, but it's not as difficult to work your way towards that when you know what your end goal is. For and sure. you know, you know, this is something you want to see happen. So what are the things you need to layer throughout? And I know that that definitely helps my editing process as well, that I don't have to go back and often layer in a bunch because I already knew sort of, even if I didn't realize I knew. <laughs> yep. I, I think knowing that ending is super critical. I mean, as long as you have that in place and you, uh, you understand the overall story arc and how that process works, I could see why that would make it very easy to be able yeah, to go ahead. So it's like, I don't have an outline, but I'm a pantser with a tiny bit of the plotter instinct of, you know, just to look ahead and think about that. Sure. So you've got that forethought and vision. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So r- walk us through a typical process when you are getting through um, starting a new concept. So from conception to creation, like what does your day look like when you're sitting down going, okay, I'm starting something new. This is how I'm going to make it happen. 
Um, I would say again, it's, it's the, the lightning strike of there's an idea and I decide that I'm going to write it and I sit down and I tend to mull over first chapters a decent bit, even while sitting in front of them, um, until I, I find my starting line. Um, and that's something that's really important for me. I know some people can change things like that later on, but for me, it needs to stick and it needs to feel true to their voice because their voice is decided by that starting chapter. I often don't know it at all before I start. Um, I've had many stories that I thought it would be one way and it was a completely different way as soon as I sat down to write them and the character was just like, no, I'm this way and that is how it is. And it's like, okay, that's how you are. Yeah. Um, you know, so I sit down and I mull and that first chapter is usually a little bit painful in the sense of I still don't know them. But um, once I find my groove, I can, I just, I know, I know how it is, you know. Um, and from there, it's just continuing every little bit all the way through to the, to whatever. And that is the hard thing about the first one is I don't always know my ending beforehand. I've had several of them that I didn't know until over halfway through, but that's usually the only book in a series that I'm very kind of shaky on the ending for. That makes sense because it's a new concept and you're still trying to like figure out, like you said, the characters and who they really are and who they're trying to become and everything along those lines. I'm still learning the concept. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot of what it has to do with is I'm, I'm still figuring out the world. I'm learning my players and all of these things along with my readers. And so that first book, I don't tend to always know it until we're coming up on it, but usually for the follow-up ones, I, I have a pretty good idea because I don't tend to dive right into the following book. Um, okay. And I like to alternate too. So if I finish, I, I can't alternate while writing, but I can alternate in the sense of I write book one, of a series and book two of a different series. And then I go back to write book oh, two of sure. another series. And I, I think that that helps me kind of stay fresh with my ideas a bit. Probably lets your subconscious kind of sit and stew a little bit on that first book too. And how to work some of the things out. Sometimes I'm like, I want this to happen, but I don't know how to make it happen within my own world building. So how do I make yep. this happen that doesn't break my rules? Gotcha. So what does a typical writing day look like for you? Do you write in the morning or are you more of an evening no. <laughs> so I tend to get up um, and I get my coffee. Uh, sometimes I'll go check my emails. I usually check in with a couple of my author friends in the morning, um, check and see if my designers sent me anything. Many, I think, <laughs> I want to say all of them are overseas. No, no, one of them is not. <laughs> but the main two that I've been working with are. So I check and see if they sent me anything since that is my exciting part of my job. <laughs> and right. Then, uh, and then I go sit down and in the morning, usually by 10 o'clock, I get up at like nine. So mind you, that's not as late as it is for some people that have you know, right. <laughs> regular um, nine to five jobs. But I go and sit down and I work and I probably write for three to four hours, only breaking periodically for lunch. And then the afternoon is usually a bit more leisure while I'll do my like cleaning and things and admin interspersed in between. Gotcha. That's really cool. So I, I'm assuming then that means you write full-time. And uh, Yes, I do write full-time. Um, I used to work a lot more hours, more than 40 hours, but it's honestly kind of the opposite now. I probably work 40 or less at this point um, just because I can't write eight hours a day. Yeah. So I, I write three to four a day and I write at least five days a week. Sometimes I will write a little bit on the weekends, especially if a book is really talking. I try not to too much though, since it can be hard to keep those boundaries with work and home life sure. when you work from home. Um, as many people in the pandemic have learned. Absolutely. I've even oh. talked about it on the podcast where it's like, you have to learn to set those boundaries and know when you're kind of approaching that burnout. It's super easy for us authors, especially 
especially when the books are talking. <laughs> so for me, a big thing is, is definitely spacing myself out. Even if I could write 5,000 words a day, I tend to do about two to three and I let it stop there. And so that I'm not burned out for the next day. And I tend to be able to hold on for a lot longer um, and go months and months, you know, before needing like a serious break because of that. And that's really helped me. So how many books do you usually write each year? I think the last few years, it's been five to six every year, pretty consistently awesome. after my first year. So that's a mix between co-authored and solos. I tend to burn out much faster writing solos back to back. I can see why. Especially if it's in the same series. That's something I learned after my second or third year that I just can't do. It's too exhausting to be in one character's head for so long. So so what, what program do you use to write? Is it Scrivener? Is it Word? Is it something uh, else? Google Docs. <laughs> Google Docs. All right. Is I that because it makes Word. it easy when you're co-authoring? Yes. Yeah. It's actually how I got into it. So I used to use Word, um, but I actually lost my Word document several times and it didn't auto-save oh, no. properly, which uh, promptly stopped me using Word for anything except edits. Right. Um, I tried Scrivener. I like Scrivener, but I am very messy with a keyboard and it doesn't have autocorrect, or at least I can't figure out how to get the program to correct. <laughs> and when it like, and when I did get things transferred in, then it would change all my fantasy words. So Scrivener, it just, it didn't work as great for me as it seemed like it did for a lot of people. But Google Docs, I had really good luck with um, because it does have the, the standard autocorrect. It was very easy to break things up and still flip between chapters. I can send and work between with a co-author very easily. And you can leave comments in Google Docs that transfer over into a Word doc as soon as you download it, which is really helpful with my editor because I'll have things where I'm like, I don't remember which way I had this in the last book. Please double check for clarification or whatever. Right. Um, so that she knows to go look for that. And obviously she, I mean, she probably would anyways, but you know, if it's something I know that I'm like, oh, I think this is shaky. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I can't even remember, you know, I've been asleep since then. So, if I'm the one yeah. who created it and I don't know, I can't expect her to always know off the top of her Oh, head. right. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's, it's amazing to me, the people who, well, I suppose it's super weird. Like as authors, you'd think we would be the first ones to remember, but it's usually like the, the fans who read it and they're like, yeah this is so not how she described that thing in that book. And it's like, how do you remember those things? Yeah. I have some mega readers that sometimes I'll have to ask a question of or this and that, where I'm like, I can't remember. I don't even know what book this was in. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially when you write so many different uh, series, it, get, it does, it gets a little bit, a little bit crazy. Okay. So one of the questions I have for you is, do you, did you always know you were going to indie publish or did you want to go traditionally at first? when you're starting? I very much wanted to be traditional when I was 15, 16 and I wrote my first book. Back then, indie was still so, so, so new. You know, even, even the people you talk about in indie now, the vast majority of them were not around then. And the ones that, you know, were probably started up about then. I didn't know much about it, but it was kind of, it wasn't looked as favorably upon. Um, and those biases that a lot of readers and even authors have uh, were very much on my mind at 16. It was yeah. only later when I was actually studying chemistry in school and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I really want to publish, but I don't really feel like going through all of that. Why don't I just throw it out there and see how it does, you know, see if people are like really into it. And then it took off. Like within months, I was making what many would consider full time on one book and then it just kind of continued from there book two book three you know on and upward um 
so yeah, I, it wasn't my original plan, but then I found that I really loved the journey kind of on the way after that first book. Um, and I That's learned awesome. to really love things in indie, like, you know, the cover artist side or like being in charge of my marketing and my book prices and my events and all of those kinds of things. That's really nice. For sure. Okay. So you mentioned that you like strong uh, female protagonists, obviously with the propensity to kick some butt. I love that as well. So are you like that in real life or do you just kind of like to channel that through your characters because you, you feel like you can't really do it so much in real life? I would say that I am, but I'm a lesser version. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, my, my first heroine, um, Selena is a boxer and I actually did box for a bit in college. Um, She was a boxer before I was, but I got into it because I was really fascinated by the idea from writing it. Um, I was a rock climber, you know, and a marathon runner and all of these things. Um, I've always been a very strong personality. Um, When friends are kind of asked, you know, you get that question of like, what kind of drink would you be? My husband has called me tequila. I love strong it. on the way down. <laughs> you know, like got it. Got it. You're so, a bit intense I, on the, on the get go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a super out there person in the sense of I'm not, I'm definitely not an extrovert, but I also don't think my heroines are. And I don't think that that defines kick buttness necessarily. No. Um, so I would say I'm a more moderate real life version of what that might look like. I love it. Um, hopefully a bit less emotionally damaged than usually what brings <laughs> that about. Right. Right. <laughs> That's all good though. It's all good. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned that your first book was really, um, it kind of sparked things off very quickly. So was there a magical moment in your author career that did click everything into place for you where you thought this is the thing, or was it just because the first book did so well that you knew right away? Was there, was there anything like just that just Um, clicked? You know, when I first published, I'd always known I wanted to be a writer, like ever since middle school, you know, before that, I didn't even have an idea of what I wanted to be. It was always this things like, Oh, it's singer and dancer, like totally unrealistic given them, but whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I've always really known I wanted to be a writer, but it was more of a question of what am I going to do until I get there? So when I put my first book out, it was really, is this one going to make it? Not is my career going to, but is this one going to be where it starts? Because I've never been one to give up really with things. I very much get tunnel vision and that's kind of how it always has been with writing for me. So when I put it out and then it did, it was like, okay, now how do I rearrange those other things to make this happen? So that was when I switched what I was studying to religious studies, um, being a full-time chemistry student and writing and working oh, sure. a full-time job. Right. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I can completely understand that one. <laughs> you know, but it's, as the income increased, it definitely made it easier to put all of those plans in place. Um, you know, being able to let go of my waitressing job, that was a great moment and long overdue by the time I did it, (laughs) um, you know, different things like that along the way. So I don't think I had a true moment of it, which is strange now that I think back on it. I just always knew that eventually it would get there. It was just a question of when. Gotcha. So did the marketing side of things come easy to you? Was that something that you just always knew? I I didn't think it did until I've looked around. Um, And my friends have always told me since the beginning, my author friends have said, you just, you have an eye for it. And I've come to see that. I can't design in Photoshop. I cannot edit. I am the last person anyone would ever want to proofread anything. 
Um, but I do tend to understand marketing on a um, gut reaction level, I would say is the okay. best way to put it. Ads have come fairly easy to me, um, tropes and books. And I tend to like what the general market likes, which I think has voted well for my writing. Absolutely. Um, you know, with a few twists in it to, to my own specifics. But I, I definitely think that marketing was something that came easy to me and that has made it much easier to be an indie author. That's awesome. So do you, do you lean more on ads or do you lean more on promos or do you lean more on your newsletter? What is your, like, if you were talking to a newbie author, what, what would you recommend that they do? Um, I would say nowadays, definitely ads. Um, I think ads are where the market is at. And I think ads are the only thing that's truly reliable at this point, you know, with the exception of maybe someone that found massive success on TikTok early on or something like that. (laughs) Right you know, but apart from those one in a million that happened because you did the right thing at the right time, I definitely think that these days ads are where it's at. I used to do promos a lot more, but I kind of have seen a lot of a decline in them over the years. My newsletter, while I have one and I've, I've kind of always had one, it's never been my main focus. Um, I have social media platforms and I'm pretty good with my Facebook group and my Instagram, but my ads are really my bread and butter that keep my career um, and my income very stable and consistent so that, you know, it's not one month you're making, you know, a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. Yep. And then the next month you're making like a 10th of that, quite literally. Right. I've had that happen and that it's, it's staggering because you look at it and you're like, how can you possibly go from so high to so low? But the same right. is true in reverse. You can have a really horrible string of months and then all of a sudden make more than you did the previous year. Right. It's staggering. And that is the, the glory, I think, of ads is that they keep it consistent so that you're not dropping so low ever, especially if you do them right and you have ones that are effective. Do you rely mostly on Facebook ads, BookBub ads, uh, Amazon uh, ads? Facebook at the moment, but I'm experimenting more again with BookBub and Amazon. Um, in general, okay. I have not liked Amazon the past year or two because I found that they are exceptionally expensive for what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, prices are increasingly inflated. And because they're so simple, they're the one that most authors turn to. Um, they're very straightforward. Yeah. They're easy to understand. There's not a lot of room to screw up. Um, Facebook is much less straightforward, but that's actually where I found the most success because I put a lot of time into learning it. Right. Um, if you know the different parts of the platform, it's much easier to make it dance. Yep. You know, if you don't though, you look at it and you're just like, oh my God, what does this mean? What does that mean? Which kind of ad should I run? Should I have a, you know, should the spend be capped? Should it be this? Should it be that? And that is where I think a lot of authors flail. They look at it and it's just like, it looks like it's so much, but really the tried and true thing is just keep trying, keep messing with it, keep learning and take it slow. Don't be someone that dumps hundreds of dollars into your first ad. <laughs> right. It's going to do great your first time unless, you know, you stumbled on something quite honestly. And so I think that ads are definitely where it's at right now and probably the way of the future for quite a while. I don't foresee that changing in the immediate. For sure. So were you self-taught? Or did you take a course to be able to learn it all? Or did you do like the YouTube method, like my sons always do for their games? This isn't going to sound very good. I am (laughs) self-taught. I have um, taken courses, but I haven't found them helpful at all. Okay. Um, Most of the big ones that people recommend I found are either very basic information that you can learn if you just futz around with it or are overly complex and go into stuff that's truly not needed. And that frankly, many authors don't understand inherently because things like math, um, while I'm good (laughs) with math, I do, I look at it and I'm like, there's much simpler ways to do this. 
than what I'm seeing with a lot of the courses. Um, and I can see why that would also be a deterrent for some people that look at it and they're like, hell, I suck at math. Like, okay. You know, yeah. I've had people tell me that and it's like, but there are other ways. It's just a matter of finding them. Yep. And finding what works for you in the way yes. your brain yeah. works. And that is very sure. much true. I've, I've started and run ads for friends and they have still struggled so much. And for something that works amazing for me, it just doesn't work for their book or, you know, because that, I mean, that's the thing with different genres, you really have to narrow in on what your readers like, and you need yeah. to promote it in the best possible way to that group of people. So what mine like is going to be very different from what someone else's may like, even if it looks like, oh, we're both urban fantasy. Well, does one of you have a really strong romance and the other not? Is one reverse harem and the other not? Is one funnier? Is one darker? Like there's a lot of different factors in there in the tone of a story that I think actually is what influences an ad more than anything. And influences whether or not it's going to sell too, I'd imagine. Yes. Yes. So yeah, when, you're, when you're picking an audience, a lot of it has to do with tone in my experience more than anything else. Does your tone match the tone of what you're trying to sell to? If it doesn't, I don't think that they sell very well. Do you think you, before you start writing your books, do you do kind of that concept in your head first so you know exactly what your readers are going to be expecting from this series so that it's almost more of a right to market situation? I've only done that once and I don't think I ever will again because I found it stressful. <laughs> um, I won't lie though, I have gotten a bit, and this I do think is luck, that I have gotten onto certain tropes before they became huge. So I wrote an Academy series before Academy was big, years before. Sure. And I was just putting out the last book when the Academy trend happened to hit. And mm -hmm. that was great for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it sure. was like, I just wanted to write it something like that because I love things like X-Men and Harry Potter growing up. So that was my first right. series, but it wasn't to market because Academy wasn't a trope for years before it happened. Right. Um, and so there's different things like that, that I think that I've gotten a bit lucky with that truly it wasn't me trying for anything. It's just what I wanted to write and it happened to then become a thing. That's awesome. Well, now you're a USA Today bestselling author, and obviously that's a dream for a lot of indies. So can you tell us what that process was like for you? Like, was it an easy process or was it one where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm pulling my hair out? How, how did that go? Um, so I am one of the indies that early on, you know, I did think that USA Today was a very big thing and I ended up getting it through a box set. I can say honestly that I would not recommend that at this point. I know that okay. that is very controversial. And so I don't want to <laughs> step on toes. This is, this is probably the one question that had me a little bit nervous. You're like, Oh God, um, anxiety. Yeah, Sorry yeah, about it, that. It's a topic. And I think that most authors that might be watching this at some point will probably already know that unless they're very new. I don't like getting it through a box set. I would love to go for it with a solo or co-authored book. Actually, at some point, I think it would mean a lot more to me. I think my biggest issue with box sets is that a lot of times it really is just, I don't think it's a cheat. So I have to say that, but I do think that it is taking advantage of a flaw in the system. A lot of box sets I know gave away hundreds and hundreds of copies of a book that was 99 cents that had 20 books in it. Um, gotcha. I don't really like that or that process right. and I can't support that. I will say with so many people hoping to get it that Honestly, outside of trad, it doesn't matter. Readers, I have never had a reader tell me that they've looked at that. I've had them tell me about my blurbs. I have had one tell me that they a one-star review convinced them to buy my book. 
Okay. I saw I've that. had literally everything about that. That was amazing. Yeah. I've had literally everything else that readers have told me that have convinced them a mother, a brother, of whatever has convinced them. I've never had someone tell me that my USA Today mattered. And I really honestly can see it because the only times I think it matters are when you want to go for a book club. They tend to look more favorably on it. And this is something sure. that's been talked about a lot. I can say that I've gotten three to four book clubs and they have all been after that. So there is likely a correlation there. I can also say that they usually tend to matter when you're wanting to get published traditionally. I have not gone that avenue since I went indie. I haven't looked back because I like making money. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, why would I change this? I feel like this, I, I don't want to be offensive to anyone that's traditional. No. I think it has become very common knowledge that it is easier to be a mid-lister in indie and make a very nice income compared to traditional. You don't have a publisher taking the, your piece of the pie. You Absolutely. get to keep your whole pie or at least the portion or an of agent or anything else. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the pie gets split among Amazon and your publisher and your agents and whoever else is in there when you're traditionally published. I like to keep most of my pie. Yes. So Absolutely. Um, I think most authors would. We've even seen many traditionally published authors like coming into the indie space. Yeah. So that's been that's been pretty cool to see even just in the past couple of years. Yes, I have noticed that. And I think that's really awesome. And I also think it's really helped in making indie looked upon more favorably for readers that can tell the difference. I think right. that that's helped them see that this, you know, that something is indie doesn't mean that it's poor quality necessarily. And that you really need to judge each author and book on its own merit versus saying where it came from. Absolutely. I think it's nice too that Amazon is really... Um... Well, I think all of the sites have really done a great job of not trying to separate indies mm -hmm. versus traditional. So unless you really went digging to see whether or not this person or book or whatever is indie published, oh, you, you no. probably would never know. I can have books right alongside Sarah J. Moss or J.K. Rowling or anyone else. And it's entirely based on how it sells. And I do really like that. And I do think all of the platforms have, have done a pretty good job with that. I do wish that some platforms would be more available to their indie authors in terms of promotions and things, because not all of them are made equal in that. Yeah. But I do overall think that they have done a much better job to make it that unless a reader is truly looking for it, you can't tell the difference. So are you wide or are you KU or are you hybrid? I'm hybrid currently. So most of my series are KU. Um, I find that urban fantasy and paranormal romance tend to be better off there. But I do have a dark fantasy series that I just took wide. So I'm still kind of building up uh, a presence there and working on the changes in my marketing for wine because it is a bit right. different. You have a lot more platforms to manage. Um, it's even more heavily ad dependent than Amazon is. Fortunately, I feel pretty confident in my ad game, but it is a matter of the time investment, especially the initial time investment of getting oh, everything sure. set up. So that is one thing that I'm kind of still sort of navigating the waters with. That makes a lot of sense. And that would explain why you're kind of testing the BookBub ad situation as well and all of yes. that. Yeah, I can totally understand that one. Okay, so for the new indie authors who are listening to you and wanting to kind of follow in your lead, what kind of advice would you give to them if they're completely brand new, just starting out, maybe they don't even have a book out yet, but they're really wanting to, to do this thing? What, what advice do you have for them? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> oh, it's hard? That's not good advice, Kel. <laughs> Picking the advice is hard. There we go. There's so many things I would love to say. Um, I mean, but at the end of the day, it is hard. 
there is going to be so many people on the journey from friends to family, you know, to colleagues that tell you that it's not possible that are going to assume even when you quote unquote, make it that you're, you know, your spouse is the one and that you're just doing this as a hobby. Yeah. And the invalidation is regular as an author, indie or traditional, honestly, unless you're like, you know, George R. Stephen Martin, King. Like, yeah. yeah <laughs> right. you know, Neil Gaiman, Sarah, like, unless you're one of those people, it, it is a very, um, it can be hard. And having a support system, I think is a really big thing, but it's also possible without one. I was fortunate and that my husband is very supportive. My best friend was always supportive. Even before my book took off, she was like, do it, do the thing. I love that. My best friend was like that too. (laughs) She was always incredibly supportive. You know, my parents growing up had said it was a question of when, not if. It was when it took off. And I think that that really helped my my self-esteem going into it that I never questioned if it would. It was just when it would. And so if you're going to do it, then do do it. Like, don't say like, oh, when I find time to write or when it takes off, you know, with um, like with that if that silent if they're kind of. Or, oh, it's just in. Not, you know, you, you've got to do it and you got to do it 110%. And I know that can be hard because you look at it and you're like, man, am I going to make money in this? Like, I don't know, you know, kind of yeah. the wishy-washiness. But there's people that have started this year that popped up out of nowhere and are selling in the top 100 on Amazon. You know, right. it happens. It's, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that it's easy. It was much easier when I started and it was even easier five years before that. <laughs> Right. (laughs) And almost any author that's been around that long will tell you that. But at the same time, it's doable. It's completely doable. You just have to put in the work and make sure you're delivering a great product. I will say one thing that I see a lot is that authors enter the indie sphere and they choose to prioritize cover over editing. And so this is kind of like a, a secondary piece of advice beyond like, you know, it's hard, but if you really want to go for it, Make sure you get a good editor. Don't just pick a glorious, beautiful cover and not get your book properly edited. And also don't, don't make your own cover. I do believe that putting out a professional product matters. Absolutely. Um, even when I was brand new to the game, I got an editor to edit my book and edited it thoroughly. And it, you know, it takes time. You can't expect it to be done instantly. Make sure that you're putting out the best product. Make sure that your editor knows the genre that you want to go into so that they can help you. Because if you're new, you don't always know. These things aren't really intuitive to a lot of people. And so you need someone there in your corner that says, you know, your, your genre does this and you did this, you know, to consider it. And you need that cover that says the right genre. So don't make your own cover and don't skimp on your editor. <laughs> and yes. don't prioritize a beautiful cover over an editor. Because that's something that I see even authors that have done this for a while still do. And I truly think that it hurts their work and it hurts indie as a whole, because that is where those comments about believing that indie is lesser come from is when people do not do the full mile of putting out a product. If you're going to pay for it, like if you go to Starbucks, would you accept some Joe Schmo's drink that, se- that tells you it's Starbucks, but it don't taste like Starbucks. No, wouldn't. you go to Starbucks because you expect a certain thing. So yeah. when someone purchases a book, they're expecting a certain level of, you know, editing and probably cover. So yeah, yep. so make sure you have that whole package. Yeah. And it makes your ads a lot easier too. You spend a lot less if you have a good product to start with than trying to sell something that is not really ready for publishing. 
it's all about relevancy too. Like for example, with Amazon, if you want that thing to actually sell using Amazon ads, relevancy is such a huge thing. And it, that's part of the reason why the spend goes up and it's flooded with a, a bunch of books. Great. Because it's an easy platform. It's obviously the one where your books are being sold, but if your books aren't relevant, it's going to be a much harder sell. And then all the other crazy things happen. Yeah. Okay. So Kel, where can people who are listening to this podcast or watching it find you if they want to come check out your books or come check out your stuff, get on your newsletter, where do they go in order to be able to locate you? So my website, kelcarpenter.com is fairly up to date. I usually updated it twice a year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's, it's close. It's not always exact, but you know, that lays out my series and things like that. Um, my group, Kel's Crew, uh, Crew spelled with a K. <laughs> Love it. That is where I'm probably most active if people actually want to engage and interact and things like that. Um, Facebook is my tried and true platform. I enjoy Facebook. Um, nice. And then beyond that, I mean, just looking on Amazon. I mean, obviously people can join my newsletter and this and that, but I'm all about, you know, pick the thing that works for you. If getting an email works for you, then the newsletter is the way to go. If you'd rather have someone to interact with, Facebook groups the way to go. It just I'm go on most places. Like to, I am not yeah. on Twitter or TikTok though. Um, <laughs> I know there's, there's a story TikTok there. I can see lovely. it. I won't lie. It looks amazing, but I know that I would waste way too much time on there that I need to spend working. <laughs> I hear you. I completely 100 percent agree with so you on that. Bad with the video, and so it's just like I just when TikTok came out, I was just like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I already waste way too much time on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm out there, but I'll tell you what, I spend more time watching the videos because I, if I tried exactly. to do them, it would be exactly. crazy. It would That's be insane. What everyone tells me is even if they make videos, they spend way more time watching them. And I'm like, I don't need to be doing that with my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too funny. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I am super thrilled. Like I said, that you are here and being able to have this conversation. I think you're going to inspire a lot of other Indies who are in the beginning stages and maybe even those who are in the middle. I know you definitely inspired me. So I'm very appreciative of that. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. No, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. This has been really nice. I don't know if you could tell, but I absolutely adore Kel. Her story is amazingly inspiring. I mean, we all wish we were wildly successful with our first book, right? And she is such an incredibly sweet person. I hope that you'll take the time to check her out on her website, and of course, definitely read some of her books if you love urban fantasy with strong female characters and steamy scenes. I will make sure you have links to all the goods in today's show notes. So head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 77 to check them out or download today's transcript. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would really appreciate it if you drop a five-star rating or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your vote of confidence helps other listeners find this show and helps encourage them to listen. Well, my friend, I am off to get some more writing done. What about you? Well, go on, get out of here, go forth, and start your author revolution. This podcast episode has been brought to you by four amazing people. 
Daphne Garrison, Tammy Tyree, Quinn Ward, and Scarlett Braden, who are Author Revolution Podcast Patreon supporters. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon to find out what the awesome membership levels are and what you end up getting. The Author Revolution Podcast is here to provide tips, tricks, and tools for embracing a prolific author mindset and making your dreams of becoming a full-time author a reality. In order to continue providing the quality content you've come to know and love, I would appreciate your support. As a one-woman show, the podcast takes a lot of time away from other tasks like writing. (laughs) Plus, your support also makes this mompreneur's heart smile. Head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon.